And it's a short passage. So we know the rule. Short passage, long message. No, short passage, short message is the theory anyway. Um, and the reason we sang that song from Rend, we have sung it in the past. Uh, it's a bit of a goer, isn't it? Um, but what I like about it, I like lots of things about it. I, I, I really like lots and lots and lots of things about that song. Um, I like its emphasis on God moving by his spirit. Uh, I like its emphasis on um, our responsibility. Um, but what I like best about it is uh, its emphasis on on Jesus building his church. Yeah? So my heading for this little passage in Acts 11 is when Jesus builds his church. Okay? That's our title. When Jesus builds his church. Now, Silva has a list of, of uh, my headings, um, but they've changed since I gave them to him. I kind of knew they would. Uh, he probably did too, so that's the way it is. Uh, but you don't, it doesn't matter to you. And I've got too many of them, so I'm not going to tell you how many there are. And if you want a prize, you can come and tell me how many headings there were at the end. Okay? So when Jesus builds his church, I often think of um, when Jesus ascended. And he says to the disciples, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. So go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Holy Spirit, uh, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. And I often think about that little group of men met around the Lord Jesus Christ and how he then told them to go and take over the whole wide world. And I often wonder, kind of like, um, okay, they didn't know about Australia, did they? You know? So maybe the world was smaller for them than it is for us, but I still wonder what they thought, you know? Um, maybe they didn't listen that well because, you know, the occasion uh, and how big things were happening, and we don't always grasp what people are saying to us, but I'm sure they must have thought about it afterwards. And to take over the whole wide world, so few of us, how are we going to do this? How are we going to make disciples of every nation? How are we going to do that? You know? And then um, I go in my mind to uh, a while ago when we first arrived in Bordeaux, someone said to us, you must start a church. I thought, we didn't come here to start a church. I can't imagine us starting a church. Um, and then kind of nine years later, we, we, we're fast moving us, Davies, you know? Quick thinking, people us. Um, we thought, okay, we've got to start a church. And we thought, well, we can't start a church. You know, what, what, what do you, how do you do this? What do you do? What do you do? Well, I want to tell you a secret. And, and the secret is simply this. Jesus does it. It's Jesus who builds his church. And you've got to remember that. Jesus says, I'll build my church. And you have to remember that. It really is a case of, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it, okay? Uh, it's Jesus who builds his church. And there is a very real sense in, you know the famous old saying of Luther? He said, um, Melanchthon and I sat around drinking uh, Wittenberg beer, and the word of God did all the work. Well, you know, Luther um, was not given to understatement. He was, he was a big-hearted 
Um, and he at least had a big-mouthed character. But I mean, you know, he kind of, he said things that are larger than life. So he did work hard. He really did. He was a hard-working guy. But at the same time, what he's saying is, you know, I couldn't do this. I couldn't do this. Jesus built his church, okay? Uh, Jesus will build his church. Uh, he always gives us more than we can handle. Is that the first time any preacher's ever said that to you? Um, I think it's true. Jesus will always give us more than we can handle. And the reason he does that is because he wants us to learn to lean and rely upon him and trust him. Okay? He will give us more than we can handle. So that we learn to rely on him. After all, think of holiness. You know, he says to you and to me, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I mean, you know, be serious. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's far more than any, any of us is capable of doing. How are you going to do that? You can't even control your own thought life, can you? The, the, this, you, have, you have rubbish discipline. I know that because, you know, I'm talking to people who I think are a little bit like me. It's really, really hard. But Jesus will do it. Jesus will do it. And so he gives us more than we can handle, so we learn to rely on him. And Jesus builds his church. Okay, so here are my headings. I nearly told you how many there are. Here are my headings. And they are all from um, verse 19 to verse 30 of Acts 11. Okay, so if you've got the passage in front of you, hopefully you will see where I'm coming from. If it's a little bit oblique, I apologize and I'll try and explain. Um, and the first thing I want to uh, say is this. When Jesus builds his church, I want to say, in a way, he does it on his own, or he does it on his own initiative. Or um, uh, My point is, there was no central committee. It wasn't Jerusalem, the apostles in Jerusalem, that thought, well, you know, he did say all nations, all nations, so we better start moving, you know, have we got a five-year plan? What, what is our campaign going to be? What about a strategy? We need a strategy. And strategy and tactics is not the same thing. So we need to think this through and have a plan. Um, maybe the apostles were thinking like that. I have my doubts. Maybe they were. But that isn't how it happened. What happened was people went and shared the gospel in Antioch. Yeah? So Jesus didn't use a committee. He didn't use a central committee. It, it wasn't the apostles taking an initiative um, maybe Jesus has used central committees sometimes, since, uh, but even today, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. Now, this is really important because from time to time, in some of the discussions that I end up getting involved in, people say, well, who sent this person to start a church in Bordeaux? And I always think, why are we asking that question? Why even ask that question? The Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of the harvest. You know, he sends laborers into his field. What a crazy question to ask. You know, if the person is a, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, then Jesus sent them into his harvest field. Um, that, that's how it is. We, we, we're not under the control of some central committee. And they weren't in, in Antioch, were they? They didn't send to the apostles, we would like to perhaps um, begin a work in Antioch. Could we have your approval, please? It wasn't like that, was it? Yeah, Jesus builds his church. 
Second thing, the apostles didn't control everything. It's not about control. Um, Jesus and his spirit are uncontrollable. They are uncontrollable. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to build his church all over the world and nobody, and not nobody, is able to stop him. Yeah? Jesus and his spirit are uncontrollable. In the most wonderful sense of the word, uh, it's completely out of control. And we can see that from church history. Um, for example, oh, numerous examples. Countries where um, there's been extreme persecution and everyone assumes the church will die out. Uh, and it doesn't die out. Korea was like that. Terrible persecution in Korea in um, the early part of the 20th century. And the church flourished. Um, Iran is like that today. Uh, it's illegal to change your religion in Iran. Um, and yet Muslims in huge numbers are becoming Christians in Iran. And the church is growing at a phenomenal rate in Iran. Uh, so the, 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 the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are uncontrollable. Jesus will build his church. Nobody can control it. And nobody should try, you know. Um, uh, and we can see that here that the apostles, they're, they're not trying to control everything. They send Barnabas down. Now, if you want to control things, you don't send Barnabas because Barnabas is the son of encouragement, you know. Um, so don't send Barnabas if you want to hit the brake. Uh, you send Barnabas if you want to hit the accelerator or change gear. Yeah, that's, what, that's why you send Barnabas. He's going to go and encourage people. And so the apostles, they send Barnabas down to Antioch to encourage them. He may use the steering wheel a bit, but he's not going to hit the brake. He's going to make sure that things go well and in a good direction. Okay, that's the kind of guy he is. He nick yeah, I should explain, shouldn't I? His real name was Joseph, but they nicknamed him Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. Um, it's a kind of Middle Eastern-y way of doing things. Son of, uh, to indicate that he was an encouraging guy, a very encouraging guy. He's the son of encouragement that way. Okay? The third thing, and it follows on from what I've said, I hope everything is relatively logical um, this evening, Jesus can use really bad things to produce really good results. He's, he's able to do this. He really is. Um, so the, the people who went down to Antioch and started spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, they went there because of the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. You see it there in verse 19. So uh, Stephen is stoned to death. People think, whoa, we can kill Christians, and it becomes open season on Christians in Jerusalem, and there's a severe persecution. People run for their lives, and they end up down in Antioch where they start to tell people. People say, well, what are you doing here? You know, why did you come to Antioch? Funny place to end up. And they say, we fled persecution. Why were they after you? Because we believe in Jesus. Can you explain? And so they explain to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus can use terrible, terrible things to achieve really, really good results. Um, and so this persecution, which was aimed at stopping the church, stopping the message spreading, stopping people believing in Jesus, actually enabled it to spread further and faster. 
Okay? Now that's why I say that Jesus and his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit are uncontrollable. You'll never stop them. You'll never stop them. Next heading. Is anyone counting? No. Nobody, nobody can count that. that much. Oh, they're arguing now about how many. That's wonderful. Um, jolly good. Um, the next one. <laughs> and I really want you to listen to this because I think this can really help you in, in your life. Um, when our plans fail, remember that God's plan won't fail. Okay? Here are these people. They're in Jerusalem um, and they're forced to flee for their lives. And they go down to Antioch. And they think, well, this wasn't planned. I, I never wrote to my mother and said, you know, I'm planning at some point to run for my life from Jerusalem. Uh, this is not in my game plan. This is not part of my, my uh, thinking at all. Uh, they had to flee for their lives. But God's plan was in action and was working. His plan for their good and for the good of the whole wide world. Um, they ran, but the Lord's hand was with them. Yeah, that's what we read. Look at verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them. And so they were fruitful. Uh, verse 21, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 24, he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then verse 26, uh, they taught great numbers of people. And so um, don't be afraid if your plans don't work. Uh, and I know our plans are very dear to us, you know. We invest a lot in our plans. We, we care a lot about our plans. We think about them a lot. We prepare for them. We, we pay for them, you know. We, we spend a lot of money on our plans. Um, but when your plans don't work, maybe God is working out a better plan. Uh, trust God's planning more than your own, okay? Trust God's planning more than your own. Because God's plan, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think how to put this so it will be palatable to you. God's plan is better than yours, wiser than yours, sometimes bigger than yours, uh, and is preferable to yours. And so if your plan ends up in ashes around you, you know? Everything's gone. Don't be afraid. It doesn't mean God's plan has failed at all. Um, the next one. <laughs> oh, Jesus loves to use teams of different people. Okay? Jesus loves to use teams of different people when he builds his church. Barnabas and, you know, I'm, I'm sure people have written books about Barnabas going to find Saul in Tarsus. Um, Saul, who is also known as Paul, uh, the apostle, writes Romans, writes Ephesians, writes, writes Corinthians, and so on. Uh, pastoral epistles. And um, uh, at this point, Barnabas goes to find Saul. And he brings him from Tarsus. 
Uh, now, yeah, I should, I should explain where all these places are. Antioch is, uh, and Tarsus are both now in Turkey. Antioch is on a bit of Turkey that pokes down um, on, on the kind of right-hand side of the, of the Mediterranean. And now it's called something like Antakya. Antakya. And you can visit it today. It still exists as a city. Um, and then Tarsus is up and round the corner. And to travel there by land took a long time and was not easy. But to travel there by sea was, was the easiest thing in the world. You just cross the bay of, of that corner of the Mediterranean, okay? So Barnabas goes and fetches Saul. And um, they work together as a team. And Barnabas, the son of encouragement, Saul, uh, well, you know, people have written books about the character of the Apostle Paul. Um, uh, this amazing kind of training that he had and this mind that can seize uh, and grasp a whole system and a whole plan and explain um, his rigor, his um, uh, method, you know, his structured uh, he's, he's got the most amazing mind. And so together, Barnabas and Saul are teaching the church in Antioch. And teams made up of different kinds of people become a wonderful tool in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah? Um, you don't want to be surrounded... Well, you do, actually. Everyone wants to be surrounded by clones themselves. Yeah? That's what we, we want... We want to have kind of like as many little, you know, uh, copies of ourselves as possible because we would work peacefully then. Well, we may, but it wouldn't be very creative and we wouldn't rub off each other and we wouldn't co contradict each other and help each other to see things better. Uh, and so teams of different people are a very powerful instrument in Jesus' hands. However, look out because it's not always easy. Okay? Um, because your teams are made up of sinners. And teams of sinners are always going to be challenging. Yeah? People who fail, people who rebel, people who have twisted minds, people who don't always see straight, people who have self-interest, people who are defensive, people who have all kinds of issues in their lives. And they bring those issues to their teams. And uh, so teams are sometimes complicated. Now, I don't want to uh, throw out spoilers, um, so I won't. But look out for this team of Saul and Barnabas, okay? Um, that's enough about that. Um, except to say that sometimes teams, you just can't do it anymore. There comes a time sometimes when teams can't function anymore and when people have to work separately. But that's too much of a spoiler. We'll move on. When Jesus builds his church, he uses the same message everywhere. Isn't that amazing? You'd think, well, surely you need a different message for people from um, um, Eastern countries and people from Western countries. You'd need a different message for people from developing countries and what we call developed countries, although quite what are developed countries, I don't know. Um, you would need a different message for people from um, uh, capitalistic countries and socialist countries. You would need a different message for people from a very cultured 
places, um, people from very kind of folky places. You would need different messages for all these people. But Jesus doesn't. Not at all. He builds his church using the same message everywhere. Look at it, the verse 20, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were telling Jews the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. They were telling Greeks the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. Same message for these people with vastly different backgrounds, different cultures, different ways of living, different ways of looking at things, and yet the same saviour and the same message uh, for them all. And so Barnabas comes down and, and Saul, and what do they teach them? Look at verse 23. Barnabas encouraged them all, remain true to the Lord. Uh, verse 24, um, come to the Lord, he said, and people were brought to the Lord. Verse 26, Saul and Barnabas taught them um, together. What are they teaching them? They're teaching them the same message. And teaching is what they needed. What they needed was to be taught. Um, and uh, it's what we still need today, of course, all of us. Um, and then verse 26, um, look at this. This is really interesting. Look at verse 26. I should have pointed this out to the children, really. Um, For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Observe this. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. It's the first time that this word Christian is used, okay? And it's used at Antioch of these people. Some of them were Jews, some of them were Gentiles, but all of them were Christians, And um, it's the same kind of structure of a word as when you read in the gospel about the Herodians, yeah, the Herodians, the people who um, had an allegiance to Herod. Well, here are these people. What's their allegiance? It's to Christ. They're obsessed with Jesus. You say, what makes your life tick then? They say, Jesus. What are you living for? I'm living for Jesus. Why are you in Antioch? I'm in Antioch because of Jesus. What are you going to hear about today from these people, Paul and Barnabas, then? I'm going to hear about Jesus and his importance for my life and how he's going to change my life, how he's going to change the whole wide world. I'm here because of Jesus. And people said, well, I don't know, I don't know what else you can say about these people, but they've certainly got this fixation on Christ. They're Christians. We know all about Herodians, but these people, they're Christians. Because they're so fixated on Christ. They were always on about the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Next heading. I'm not going to ask you how many that makes. Um, and it's, it's a very easy and obvious one. Here are these Jewish people who now believe in Jesus, and here are these Greek people, and they all believe in Jesus. But people don't call them, oh, the circumcised believers and the uncircumcised believers. They don't call them the Jewish believers and the Greek believers. They call them all Christians. And that's glorious, isn't it? Uh, Here they are, they're all bearing the same name, and what a name it is. You know how amazing it is to be called a Christian by someone else. Most wonderful thing. Uh, and they've been made into one people who have one Lord because they all have one problem. It's the problem of sin. It's the problem of their estrangement from God, their rebellion against God. And so they have one Savior. And now that gives them one identity, one identity. 
and one message to share and one wonderful obsession. They belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? They're Christians. And then my last heading. Uh, when Jesus builds his church, he makes one worldwide people who love each other. Who love each other. He makes a worldwide community of love. Okay? Because that's who Jesus is. He's the king of love. Um, we read um, in verse 27 to 30 about a time when uh, Agabus predicted that there would be a famine everywhere. Everywhere. And there are times like that, aren't there? When uh, there's, there's a, um, kind of like an economic collapse everywhere. Or where um, in this, this uh, situation there would be a severe famine over the whole Roman world. A famine everywhere. And these people, they thought, whoa, you know, everyone's going to be short of food. Um, we're going to be short of food. Everyone will be short of food. But the people in Judea, they're already struggling. We've already been sharing and supporting widows in Judea. So they're going to really suffer. So how can we help them? And so there's a sense in which when Jesus builds his church, it shows in ordinary, sensible, um, self-giving, sacrificial love. Yeah? You understand people's situations and you care about them. Why? Because you belong together. Why? Because you're all in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's he's, uh, your king, your lord, your saviour. You belong to him. You belong to him. You're not your own anymore. You belong to him. And so do your brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus builds his church, it's really revolutionary. You know, it's only... I'm not very good at counting. What is 30... Uh, 19 from 30, well, it must be about 11 or 12 verses, approximately. Does that make sense? Yeah, it is, isn't it? 11 or 12 verses, 12 inclusive, I think. It's not much, is it? It's not a very long passage. Um, but we can see here this, this new world that Jesus is creating here in this passage. And he hasn't stopped. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? He hasn't stopped, which is why we're here today. Because Jesus is still doing exactly the same thing. Through the same message, 2,000 years later, building his church. Now, what has this got to do with us? Well, some elements of application, um, I'm sure, have been obvious all the way through. Like, for example, teams. You know, don't, don't aim to create teams that are clones of yourself. Uh, well, how foolish that would be. We all want to. Um, allow that creative kind of um, tension. Um, but beware of discord that makes you not be able to work together uh, anymore and, and all that kind of thing. Um, that's all obvious. But I want to go to something really, really fundamental. And it's very simply this. Make Jesus your obsession. If you're going to be obsessed about something... And I think it's okay to be obsessed about something. I really do. Make Jesus your obsession. Let your life revolve around him. 
Because if you do, you won't waste your life. You won't waste your life. You'll be living for eternity. You won't be living for things that don't last. You'll be living for eternity. And that's worth doing, isn't it? You can't fail. If you make Jesus your obsession, you can't fail. Your little temporary plans may fail, but your life will count because it's included. You've given your life up for Jesus' great plan to to fill the whole world with with disciples. You'll bear the greatest honour this world has ever known. Um, We called in a cafe this afternoon, and in this particular cafe, once I ordered an Aeropress, and I thought, that's a weird machine he's using. You know Aeropress, the little plastic plunger thing that you make coffee with? And it's normally made of smoky grey plastic. And, you know, you put the coffee in, you put the water in, sometimes upside down, sometimes right way up, and then you kind of infuse a little time, and then you press on the plunger. This one was gold. I said, how come you've got a golden Aeropress? He said, it's a trophy. I won it at an Aeropress competition. If you're interested in seeing the golden Aeropress, I can tell you where to go and see it. It's not very far away. How amazing to have a golden Aeropress, you know? Aeropress champion. I said to the guy, I saw him earlier, I said, "Um, aren't you scared someone will steal your golden Aeropress? Because it was just there on a shelf. He said, I can get another, he said. And he laughed. Um... Wonderful to have a golden air press. I would, I would put it on the shelf, I'd say, you know. I'd hope people remarked on my golden air press. But amazing, how amazing it is if people look at you and say, that person is a Christian. That person belongs to Jesus. They're not just a wonderful barista. They're not just a wonderful math- mathematician or a wonderful... Um, whatever. That person is a Christian. That person is obsessed with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see that Jesus and uh, the, the uh, good news about Jesus is what makes their life tick. What an honour to bear that name. His personal project will be your personal project. What's his personal project? To reign forever over the whole universe. And you will invest your life for that. To see Jesus reign more and more in your life and in this whole wide world. His personal project will become your personal project. And if that happens, you will see your dream fulfilled. I guarantee it. Choose the right dream, it will always come true. You choose this dream, you can be sure your dream will be fulfilled. Yeah? <laughs> when you wish upon a cross. Yeah, sorry, that's too cheesy. But you know, you, know, you know where I'm going, you know? Wish upon a star, well, it's just a star, isn't it? It's not going to do anything. But the Lord Jesus Christ, by his cross, has earned the right to reign in the whole wide world. And you invest your life in that. 
and your dream will come true. Your dream will be fulfilled. And he'll make something wonderful out of you. He will. There'll come a day when you'll stand before him and you'll barely recognize yourself because those struggles will be in the past and you will be holy, pure, perfect. You will shine with the reflected glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing else in this whole wide world worth living for. I'm serious. Nothing else is worth spending your life for other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Make him your obsession. We'll pray and then we'll sing.